I'm Alex Breitenbach. I'm Sean Cabrera. And this is the Big Red Hockey Cast, the official podcast of Cornell Big Red Hockey, produced by the Big Red Sports Network. As always, thanks for listening and check out the Big Red Sports Network at Cornell BRSN. That's Cornell BRSN on Instagram to never miss out on any Big Red action. Well, Alex, I think I speak for both of us when I say we are currently trying to survive the off-season slump, of course. Therefore, we have no weekly recap to offer. However, as we are as we are already waiting for the return of ECAC hockey, this intro will be direct to the point. We, the Big Red Hockey Cast team, have an absolute treat for you as this special interview features none other than the NHL's Pittsburgh Penguins' very own number 57. That's right, people. We are talking about Cornell alum Anthony Angelo. So with that, let's jump right in. Welcome back to this edition of the Sinbin here on the Big Red Hockey Cast. And this week we have a very, very special guest, one of our prominent alumni from the Big Red, uh, the forward number 57 for the Pittsburgh Penguins, none other than Anthony Angelo. Anthony, how are you doing, man? Good, good. Glad uh, you guys got me on the show here. I'm excited. No, of course, of course, it's a true honor. And I noticed that you just said off air uh, uh, a little while ago, you said you're in a hotel. Are you in Colorado right now? Uh, I was in Colorado. I was up in Minnesota, Colorado. Now we're back in Pittsburgh. Oh, nice. Nice. Awesome. No, that's cool. That's good to hear. And uh, so with that, I'll just jump right in. And so uh, first of all, congratulations on getting called up from uh, Wilkes-Barre playing your second game this season on April 2nd against the Avs. And of course, we, we are sorry that you guys didn't get the result you wanted. But what does it feel like to be back in the NHL and, you know, to be um, to be such a big part of the organization now? Uh, it feels great. I mean, honestly, it's still a dream come true. Um, something I don't take lightly. I don't take for granted. And, you know, you wake up and you got to work for it each day. Um, you know, the way with pro hockey, you have between the AHL and the NHL, obviously, uh, you want to be in the NHL. And every day you wake up, you try to do whatever it takes to get, I always talk about getting 1% better. So finding a way to make it to the NHL and then finding your way to uh, stick. Yeah, no, absolutely. All part of the grind, I suppose. And in spending the last four years in the pin, uh, the the Penguins organization, what have you found is the biggest difference between professional and collegiate hockey now that some time has passed since your days with the Big Red? Um, let's see. I'd say honestly, everyone everyone in pros, I, everything everyone's a little bit bigger, everyone's a little bit faster, um, everyone's a little bit more skilled, and I'd say the. The, the best part about pros, I think, is that if you're in the right spot at the right time, more times than not, you're going to get the puck and the puck's going to be on your tape. Um, mm-hmm. I think, honestly, I'd say the biggest difference is probably the speed of the game. Everything happens so fast. Yeah. Yeah. I reckon that's we've had quite a few. Um, well, now that we've been doing this special alumni series here with the Big Red Hockey Cast, we've gotten to speak with a, a few uh, a few other uh pros and they've all said that you know yeah the speed of the game and and definitely um 
the just the amount of hockey IQ that shares the ice with you. So now it's it's definitely oh, that's good to hear. And I guess as being a member of such a storied franchise, I'll follow that up with, you know, what's it like to share the ice with big names like, you know, Malkin, Latang, Crosby, so some three time Stanley cup winners there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I Crosby was one of my favorite players growing up when I was a kid. Oh. Uh, granted he came into the NHL in what, 2005 when I was nine. And, Jeez. you know, I always idolized watching him. So, you know, to get drafted by Pittsburgh and, you know, you go to development camps and, you see the possibility of turning, you know, your dream into a reality. And then, you know, being able to sign my first entry level contract and then go to training camp with them. I'd say my first training camp, I was starstruck, not, not only from Sid or from, you know, all the big names, Gino, Latang. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool. And then after, after that training camp, I'd say, and everything kind of, you know, the water's kind of settled down a little bit. You kind of realize that, you know, at the end of the day, you guys are all coworkers and we're all fighting for the common goal of winning a Stanley cup. Um, and I, I, it's just, honestly, it's really cool. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And we also have heard, um, this is a rumor that we've heard that guys in the AHL, uh, are told to play like Brian Rust. Is this true? I haven't heard, I haven't heard, uh, a rumor from that, anything along those lines, but honestly, it's not, it's not a bad one say the least mm-hmm. i mean i think he no. plays the game the right way he does a lot That's of the little things very well he works hard um you know he plays a, a, a north south game he obviously has a couple really good players for line mates um between sid and Gensi, but you know i think uh, he plays the game very honorably and it's a good it's a good role model to have mm-hmm. now across the almost 30 games you've played in the NHL and time spent in Scranton, you've certainly had an amazing start to your pro career. So we talked about this briefly earlier, but if we could just delve more into it, how has playing professionally helped you grow as a player? I think the biggest thing it's helped me grow with as a player is the consistency aspect. Um, you know, you're being evaluated on a consistent every day, uh, basis you know you can't just go in and have a great game one game and then just kind of disappear and be irrelevant and mm-hmm. you got to try to find a way to make sure that bar doesn't drop very many levels you know if your best is here you want to try to keep it here it's obviously going to fluctuate but you want to try to be at your best as much as you can um, and I'd say honestly the other thing too is I, I just love having fun with it I mean going to the rink every day and training and playing and practicing and you know if you're not having fun with it it'd be miserable and I try to keep a smile on my face at all times. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. How much of it is like the mindset? Because we've heard a lot about that from, you know, coaches at Cornell. You know, if you go into a game and you don't have the right mindset, you're already setting yourself up for failure. What do you, what do you think about that? A hundred percent. I think, uh, you know, we do a lot of work with uh, a sports performance coach here, uh, Kevin Wildenhaus. And one of the things that he talks about is you went in your mind first. So you have to visualize yourself doing it. You have to see yourself doing it countless over and over and over. And then you turn those visions into, you know, tangible things on the ice. If you visualize yourself scoring a bunch of goals and you, then you go on the ice and do it, it you win in your mind before you do it in person first. So um, I think honestly, mindset's everything. And like, I'll go back to what was it? My junior year. Schaefer always has uh, 
the guys read a book before they come in. Um, oh, I think like we did, we did legacy about the all blacks one year. And then another year we did mindset mm. and it was talked about the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And just very briefly, I'd say, um, it helped me transition my game for the better, you know, developing your mindset and, you know, figuring out how to, as Kevin would say, winning your mind first before you do it on the ice. It almost sounds like your experiences across such levels have taught you things about self-accountability and holding yourself to basically premium standards. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, I'd say even going back to college, you know, you only play, 30 something games and right. everyone is so important. You know, you play two games a week and you can't ever take your foot off the gas. And not only you hold yourself to high standards, I think it helps you hold your teammates to high standards too. Knowing that if you, every time you step on the ice, if your teammate knows that he's going to get your best, then you should be able to expect his best. And that's how great teams are made. Yeah. Very well said. <laughs> now going back to actually your days with the big red, during your junior year, you did you did touch upon that just moments ago. You led the nation with nine goals in the month of January and also were the team's leading faceoff winner with an impressive 58.5% success rate, even though you were a wingman. So is there any explanation for that, Mr. Angelo? Uh, no, honestly, um, I, I'd say... By heart, I'm probably a winger, but I'm strong in the face-off circle. I mean, even mm -hmm. even in pros, I'll in certain situations I'll go in and take face-offs or draws, depending on what side the ice is on. And um, it always gets down to the technical aspect, even at the NHL, with like who's taking the draw, what side is it on, where, what's the situation, where are we in the game, what's the score, you know, what's their setup? Is are we on a special teams? There's a million different things you can go through, but. Um, I, I just kind of practiced it, got good at it, and never really looked back. Yeah, and I, I guess to follow it up, have you ever considered, like, just not being a winger and just saying, hey, I just want to play center? No, honestly, I think it's, you know, another club in my bag if I can play wing and center, and then wherever the coach needs to put me in at any given time, it's, no, it works, it's a win-win. He knows that I can fill both positions, and then it makes me more valuable as a player. Absolutely. Quite the valuable asset, I'd say. Now, Tracy, I didn't know those stats. Those are pretty good stats. Oh, yeah. You know, we, 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 we try to do our homework. We try to do our homework here. That is true. Kind of like studying for a prelim, except I think a yeah. lot less stressful and a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. <laughs> so I even do not miss prelims one bit. Yeah. Eh, yeah. We could, we'll, we'll have a couple of questions perhaps in the slap shot round about that. Oh, oh geez. Yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah. yeah, given that, you know, this is being recorded around spring break, a lot of us, including myself, are probably going to come back to prelims and dreadful, to say the least. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I wish you the best of luck. Thank yeah. you. I, I Thank you. Because we'll, we'll need it. <laughs> <laughs> now, as we trace back even further into your big red past, one could say, your freshman year, you played on the notorious, quote unquote, jam line which featured the likes of Jeff Kubiak at center and Mitch Vanderland on the other side. So what made that line so special? Um, no, that's a good question. Honestly, I think, I think we all played very similar styles of hockey. We played very, very uh, simplistic game. You know, we chipped mm -hmm. pucks in 
when we got on the other side of the red. Uh, we just it came down the knit and graded. We worked hard. We went to the corners. We won our battles. We supported each other. Um, we were quick in the second, you know, second man in the uh, battles and scrums. Um, we were always an option on the breakouts. We kind of knew where each other were going to be, um, whether it was in the neutral zone or in the offensive zone. And then once we started building some chemistry, it just kind of clicked. I mean, and we didn't look back. I believe we played together for almost all those two years we were there. Yeah, that's correct. And you make it sound like team dynamics helped you guys build somewhat of an instinct, uh, almost like an intra, intra, let's say intra man instinct, uh, instinct, excuse me, between all of you. No, wait. I, I, I agree. Oh. Uh, never mind. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Sorry about that. Uh, but uh, I was just going to ask about that because chemistry in the, because we, we've had quite a few, guests come on the pod and talk about you know oh the chemistry of their line mates well it from going to professional uh from collegiate hockey was it difficult at first to you know uh in a scenario where you're you know paired with so many different lines over the course of you know weeks or months is it difficult to find that chemistry at first because i i feel like that might be something that's difficult I think it, it absolutely is difficult at times. I mean, obviously in pros, you have a very, very wide range of players. You know, everyone from an enforcer with, you know, a little bit less less skill. And then you have like a super, super skill guy and, you know, everything in between. Um, and you just got to find a way to mesh. And what I've kind of figured out is you just got to find what you do well. And you just have to play that style. You have to do the things that make you a successful player. And no matter who you play with or what level you play at, you know, you got to just do those things night in and night out. The way I play at the AHL is the exact way I play at the NHL. That's what got me there. And that's, what's going to help me stay here. So you just got to find that way to be consistent. With that being said, you know, you yourself being a New York man, you grew up around a sufficient amount of talent in Alex Tuck and Joel Farabee. But when it comes down to it, what exactly made you want to play hockey? Um, I, that's a good question. Uh, let's see. I started, honestly, my mom brought me to, uh, an open skate when I was two years old, she was bored one day in the house and just brought me there. And I just loved it. Like I wanted to have a stick in my hand at all times. And, um, from about four years old on, I'd say I started to play organized hockey and just kind of stuck. And then all the way through my, uh, up until my sophomore year of high school, I played hockey and lacrosse. And that was kind of 50-50 and what I wanted to play. Um, I loved them both. My dad thought I was better at lacrosse than I was at hockey. Um, and then I ended up getting drafted by Sault Ste. Marie in the OHL uh, at the end of my sophomore year in the spring. And I was like, you know what? Um, well, at that same time, too, I had to get – I tore my meniscus. So I had mm-hmm. to get surgery and I couldn't play lacrosse. And then I was like, well, you know what? Maybe – I can do this hockey thing. And that's when I started to pursue hockey heavily. You know, I um, closed my lacrosse bags and, you know, went full steam with the hockey. Um, you know, I talked with Benny Sire and Topher Scott between then and my junior year of high school. And I committed to Cornell, I think, like December of my junior year of high school. So yeah. that's, uh, that's kind of, that's, I'd say that's kind of why. Man. That, that, that's certainly quite the story. Now, I, I, I'm i curious. If you asked your dad now, would would your dad still say you're better at lacrosse? Uh, probably not. 
no yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I i mean i can't i can't even imagine that but uh no, and, and I know you touched on it a little bit there. You had an opportunity to play in the OHL, but instead you, you turned it down in favor of keeping your um, NCAA eligibility. Now, now, what factored into that decision, like for the most part, you think? Um, I'd say a couple of things. First and foremost, academics. Um, I've always been, you know, very, uh, very academic focused, I'd say. You know, you're always one injury away from the end of your career no matter what level you're playing at. So I wanted to make sure I had a good academic background. Um, and the other thing I'd like to, after I kind of took a step back and evaluated all my options was that when you go to the OHL or major junior general, it's kind of like it's a sprint. You got to be ready for pros by the age of 21 or not one or the other. Like there's, there's really no way around it. And the nice part about going to the USHL and then going to college, um, not only do you get the academics, but you can play, in ushl tier 21 just like a major junior but then you can go to college for four years so i think from an emotional a physical a social uh social sorry um and like all around development i thought going to the ushl not going to major junior and then pursuing a college route let alone ivy league was the best option for me yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's it's interesting you brought that up because junior hockey is perhaps uh, one of the most impactful and important times of any player's career. So what was the biggest lesson that you learned uh, in playing in the USHL for uh, for Omaha? Um, I, I'd say just first and foremost, it's a grind. Um, it's a 60-game schedule. You had, I had to do high school, and then uh, when I took my gap year, I had to uh, take a couple college classes at transferring to Cornell and um, it's, you just learn, you learn it to grind. I mean, you play a very similar uh, pro style schedule and um, you have to be fully dedicated and fully committed, um, you know, with your sleep, your nutrition, um, your preparation mentally and physically, and just making sure you uh, are ready to play at all times. Yeah, I, I, I would certainly agree with that. And what was the college recruiting process like for you? Like, when did you meet Benny Sire? I'm curious. Um, let's see. I found, I believe it was my, I played junior B in Syracuse uh, under the coach Scott Montagna, who was one of my big mentors growing up through youth hockey. And um, I played, I stayed and played juniors in Syracuse my sophomore and junior year of high school because I wanted to get all my standardized tests done. I didn't want to go to the USHL and have to deal with the SATs or ACTs or subject tests or any of that stuff. So I, I did that. that. And during, during from my sophomore to my junior year, Scott Montagna had told me a few schools were interested. And I had reached out. I reached out to Cornell, um, told them I was interested, said like, hey, this is who I am. Here are my grades. And uh ben sire and topher scott i believe both came to watch me play in syracuse uh at cicero twin rakes up in cicero and they really liked what they saw on the ice so then they kind of pursued it a little farther and they met my family and um looked at my high school transcripts and all that stuff and then uh that was like i don't know like october maybe and then i got in a like uh, i went on for an unofficial visit i went there and saw a campus uh met coach schaefer um, saw the facilities and then of course the game that I went to was the Harvard game so oh. obviously right there I was sold uh, I can't remember if Cornell won or not but it was just a really cool all-around experience and I'd say about a month later I was on the way to another junior b game in the car with my dad and coach Schaefer called me and asked if I 
would like to be a part of the big red family and to play hockey at Cornell. And I just accepted it right there on the spot. Didn't even talk to my dad or mom, just committed. And then I hung up the phone and my dad goes, Oh, who is that? I said, Oh, it's coach Schaefer. He goes, Oh, what do you want? I said, Oh, I just committed to Cornell. My dad literally almost crashed the car. He was super excited. And honestly, it's funny to look back on because usually that's like a decision you would discuss with your parents and talk about. And nope, I just took the reins and rolled with it. So honestly, uh, it's a really great decision. If I had to go back, I wouldn't do anything different whatsoever. And I was really uh, grateful. And I mean, speaking of Harvard, well, I mean, you certainly, you got a lot of offers from different schools in the ECAC and to see you come to Cornell was so awesome. And then on top of that, uh, 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 for we, we, we had, uh, Alec McCray on recently who scored that, that goal with like a, a second left, uh, during the Harvard game. So Harvard games are always fun, uh, to see. Especially when you win. That was awesome. That was the loudest I've ever heard lineup when he scored with, I think it was like, either like one or two seconds left and that was a blast that's probably probably one of if not my favorite hockey memory from Cornell ah one among uh well I, I can't imagine how it wouldn't be because like you know anybody who was there that's like seriously one of the, the greatest moments of in, in, in Cornell hockey history and and, and so, I mean but I, I'd also wanted to ask like because was it, it was that that call that you got from Coach Schaefer? That's what sold you on Cornell. No, that was just the his his offer. Um, okay. I'd say what sold me on Cornell is I one thing being from Syracuse is only an hour away from home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I wanted I wanted to be somewhat close to home. I played juniors in Omaha, where I was an eighteen hour drive. That was tough. Um, academics, I'd say, obviously it's an Ivy League school. Can't doesn't get much better than that. Um, they had a wide range of majors. I was originally pre-med, uh, nutritional sciences in the ag school. Oh. And that was a tough first semester. So um, I decided that it wasn't going to be, it, it would have been way too tough to become a doctor and be a hockey player at the same time, knowing that if I had to leave school and come back, finish uh, pre-med an undergrad and then go to med school, it um, it would just be a tough, tough route. So I went with the business side, went to the AIM school. Um, and I obviously the hockey, uh, hockey was great there. It's very good development. They play a very pro style game, uh, Cornell as a whole and the atmosphere, let alone the campus and everything else that Cornell had to offer. So, yeah, um, that call was just kind of like the seal the deal type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I can let me. I can testify to that being an ex pre med myself. Oh man, that first year at Cornell, little in that first semester, at least for me, maybe I can relate a little bit to that. I got cooked alive. I got full. I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. I would say my first. You'll get a kick out of this. My first. Uh, my first test. It was the bio thirteen fifty. I think. And yeah, I took that like also. cellular biology and genetics or whatever. And it was like mm. my first test. I was. It was a test on a Monday, like 35 multiple choice. I was so hungover on Sunday. <laughs> and I was like, oh, like I'll just read through the PowerPoint like a couple of times. Like I'll be fine. And I read through and I get to the test and I like, I don't think I knew less words on that test than I ever could imagine. And I was like, oh man, I just <laughs> yeah. ended up with like a 45 on the first test. And I was like, good God, I got some work to do. So 
Yeah. No, that's that's tough. On the bright side, there was a curve, maybe. I mean, I, I yeah, yeah. Hopefully, there was a curve. Yeah, yeah. There was a curve, and you know, I uh, put some real heavy time into studying for the next test to make sure I passed that class and got a half teacher grade. So, you know, yeah. shout out to my tutor. Yeah. All right. Tutors are, you know, the tutoring services. We owe them <laughs> our lives, man. That's maybe it's a rite of passage at Cornell to kind of um, not do so hot upon your first prelims. I know arguably one could say I was maybe studying the wrong way. Again, I, w- I didn't know what Cornell prelims were like going in. Yeah. Let me tell you, I was, yeah, that was a changing experience. One can say a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And obviously, you know, the, just the unknown. Once you figure it out and you find your way to study and figure out what works for you. And then you just roll with it. Kind of like pro hockey, just figure out what rolls for what works for you and you stick to it and find your way to be consistent. Exactly. Or you just switch your major to aim, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Either way. Yeah. Or, or, or I mean, Sean, your psychology. Yeah, psychology is nice. Psychology is a nice major. Hey, Psych 101 was a, that was one of my favorite classes. See, with Pissarro, yeah. right? With who? Uh, David P- uh, Pissarro. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's the man. So shout out to Pizarro there. Now, of course, jumping, I guess, from the freshman year of, let's say, the beginning of academic struggles in that first semester, because, again, we don't like to talk about that around here, (laughs) to now uh, junior year, really. How difficult was that decision to turn pro? Um, I think I was ready from the hockey aspect. Um, I thought... I was ready to move on to the next level. Um, I want to take that next step and pursue my, you know, the dream that I've lived my whole life and I've worked for uh, to play in the NHL. Um, from an academic standpoint, I have 19 credits. Left. I have one semester. I can take two classes online and then I have to be on campus for like the last 12 credits, whatever, like the minimum. Mm-hmm. So I can do that over a summer, over a semester when I'm done playing. Um, but no, I thought I was ready. And I, again, I jumped in with both feet and went after it. Yeah. You were ready to basically spread your wings during the big leagues. Well, one can say basically. And actually now that you, that you yourself are in the NHL, if you had any advice for younger players looking to make the choice between major junior hockey and the NCAA, what advice would you give them? Well, I can honestly only attest to college, um, but I would say that it's not, it's not a, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Um, you want to make sure you dominate the level you're at before moving to the next level. No, you don't want to go to major junior and just kind of be, you know, subpar, you know, just kind of ride the borderline average and then try to go to pros and excel. You know, you want to dominate wherever you're at, move to the next level, dominate there and then move to the next level. And for me personally, that was just, my path was the USHL to college to pro. And um, I will say there, there's a lot of major junior guys I've talked to that came back and said, man, I wish I went to college. Like, it seems like that was awesome. It seems like you guys had a lot of fun and the hockey was great. And, you know, obviously the major juniors for some certain players was the elite choice. I mean, Connor McDavid, for example, went there and yeah. played and then obviously went pro. He's kind of, you know, a different breed, but of course, um, I'd say you can't really go wrong with going to college. Yeah. 
No, that's that's that. I I think that is a fair analysis there, and I think it, it it's quite subjective. But yeah, no, I and we certainly love the fact that you chose to be with the Big Red and to be with us. And I mean, I guess going off of that, I have uh, two questions for you. Uh, one, what do you miss most about uh, Cornell Big Red hockey? Um, I would say I miss the atmosphere of coming down the stairs and walking out into the rink. The place is packed. Everyone's going nuts. I miss the pep band. I miss the newspapers. Um, uh, the camaraderie of everyone. Um, everyone in college was so close. You know, you're with the same guys from your class and for multiple years. And, um, it was just always like, you never, it was physically impossible to like be down. Even if you weren't feeling your greatest for a game on a Friday or Saturday night at Lina, it didn't matter. The energy in that place triumphed over everything. Yeah. That's what we've heard. It's it's pretty much unanimous across the board. Everybody loves the energy. Even the, even you see, uh, you see, what was it? Uh, They asked uh, recently, on pucks in deep they had one of the harvard players on there and uh, and they asked him they're like what's your favorite place to play he's like line a rink they're like why they throw fish at you he's like yeah but you got to respect the energy i'm like hey you know that's yeah, something true. to be said Every, about that any team that comes in the line you we always get their best i mean it's it's tough to go into that place and not be pumped up to play whether you're the home team or the away team yeah exactly and, and, and I guess uh, following that, this is a, a sort of a tradition here on the sin bin. We've asked every guest that we've had this question, so now it's only fair that we ask you. Uh, so who do you think, out of, out of your, in your three years with the Big Red, who was your mentor, the person you looked up to the most? Um, let's see, who was my mentor? Um... I'd say for my first two years that really kind of helped me that kind of took me under his arm was Jeff Kubiak. Um, he was obviously my centerman. He was on my line. Um, but even like outside the rink, we hung out together at one of our houses or at the library or we ate meals together. And um, he was just kind of like my big brother, my freshman and sophomore year. And then uh, obviously he left and went pro cause he graduated. And um, I don't know, I'd have to think, I'd have to think about my junior year when I kind of had, kind of had things figured out by then and um i don't know i'll have to think about that well and and and, and by that point i assume you'd be uh, you'd be in, in some ways almost acting as a mentor figure for some of the younger guys at that point you know as a junior and yeah i, I would agree with that kind of stepping into the leadership role do you still keep in touch with uh, with kubiak uh i haven't talked to him recently uh we played against him a, a few weeks ago um gave him an old shoulder in the chest <laughs> nice uh, but uh, i haven't i haven't no i the short answer is no i haven't caught up with him recently no 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 that's fair and we we hear a lot about the you know the the antics that former big red players have had during their professional years when they're playing against one another and stuff that so that's, that's very interesting to hear and of course um thank you so much Mr. Angelo for joining us here on the Sin Bin, but you listeners already know what's up next. It's the Slapshot Round right after this.
All right, welcome to the Slapshot Round, where we ask hard-hitting, fun questions and have you answer them as quickly as you can. So, per tradition, we always got to ask the first one. Are you good to go, Anthony? I'm good to go. All right. Nice. So, what has been your favorite ECAC rink to play in? Uh, I would, I think Quinnipiac. I think Quinnipiac was a lot of fun to play in. Amden, yes. Hostile environment, nice. I would argue. <laughs> Very. Quite hostile, yeah. Yeah, you Alex know. himself nearly got a... Oh, yeah. <laughs> nearly oh, got dear. Beat up there. Yeah. I, yeah, I almost got beat up at, at Hamden the last time I was down there. Well, because I brought the cowbell, and I wanted to ring the cowbell in Hamden, and everybody was like, oh, like, they're like we don't know this guy. Who is this guy? Because, yeah, I was the only Cornell guy there. With the, well, aside from, <laughs> aside from Mike, our producer, who was there as well, we were the only two. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's, a, it's just it's a fun place to play. I mean, it's good facilities, and it, I like you said, it's a very hostile environment. I remember we were walking off the ice, and I don't. Know, I think it was, I don't know if it was uh, my freshman year. So my freshman year it was my sophomore year. I, I can't remember, but like the students were sitting there, like flipping us off when we were skating off the ice, and yeah. I think we had lost that game. But then, <laughs> you know, we won the next game, and we just got to smirk and smile as we skated off the ice. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that that was certainly well. I I think the reason I almost got beat up was because uh, the year that or well the, the the game that we played we beat we beat them uh, pretty well. It was a sweep, and uh, they have this thing that they go where they like because you know how you guys had the stick raises at the end of the game where like apparently they have this dot that's on the like far side of the boards that they all go tap to go like you know congratulate the fans or whatever so of course i stood right there i'm like hey good job boys <laughs> you guys lost <laughs> and then yeah yeah I, uh, needless to say it. nobody was happy about that yeah, you're begging for it there yeah I, yeah I know. you kind of brought that one up <laughs> yeah, i know i did that to myself yep and of course it's also home to the teletubbies i mean i'm not oh, sure yeah, the seen that as well oh god have you, have you seen these guys like dressed in teletubby suits no, I don't within? think that was there. Oh, I that's one I, was, st- I, I, I haven't seen that. No. Yeah, that's one of their student traditions. They have like, like, because you know how we have section B, we have the cowbell, we have the telephone chants. The one thing that they have is these guys dress up as Teletubbies every game. It, it, it's so weird. Dedication. Okay. Yeah, dedication. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so going back to more, I guess, pre-rank activities. Is there any song that always pumps you up before you hit the ice? Um, no, I'm not super picky into music. I'd say I'm, I like rap music. Um, right. I'd say before the ice, anything, you know, there's certain rap songs that kind of, you know, make me want to run through a wall sometimes. Any songs by like DMX, Eminem, you name it? D- DMX, yeah. X going to give it to you. That's not, that's a classic. Yeah, that is a classic. Uh, some Waka yeah. Flocka. Um, some like new generation stuff, some key Glock. It, it mm. honestly, it depends on the day. Nice. I feel nice. that. I feel that. And, and, and I actually have a question because like, I feel like in college hockey and in, in junior hockey, somebody has a speaker and whatnot, but it seems like in the NHL, everybody's got their headphones on. They're doing their own thing. Is that kind of how the locker room, does everybody pump themselves up to their own song in, in the NHL or do they, you know, kind of get hype as a collective? Uh, in the NHL, I'd say there's no headphones in the locker room. I mean, guys oh. use headphones to warm up or be in the gym. Uh, okay. In the locker room, there is, uh, for example, for us, Brian Dumoulin runs the mm-hmm. uh, DJ. He has his playlist and it's a majority nice. dance music. And it's, 
now just kind of feel good upbeat high bpms um nice and then in between periods there isn't anything so i guess if you want to put on headphones you can yeah um okay. if i'm ever going to listen to music i just go step outside and go sit in the dry room for a little bit or whatever it might be yeah um ahl is pretty much the same way so i i, I guess to follow it up who do you think on the pens right now has the worst music taste uh honestly i don't know i don't know very the music taste of very many people so i i can't okay. give a fair assessment no no, no. That. no that's like, absolutely fair looks like someone uh, dodges a bullet for 100 yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly they got off scot-free this time no, it's okay now going back to cornell stuff we did talk about how you don't miss at all cornell styled preliminary exams to those who may not know what prelim is if you're a new listener especially bio 1350 we talked about with cellular biology and i'm right there with you i don't blame you was that the toughest cornell prelim you ever took though it's either that or the final i'd say the final <laughs> okay, of that fair. class was just as hard it was three pages and i didn't know two of them so oh geez um, yeah, that's fair it, it was hey, it was tough i gotta see let me let's see the brother no, I'd, I'd honestly, I'd say that was probably the, top, the toughest test I had to take at Cornell. 100%. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could agree. I mean, I, I also, again, I did, I kind of did it to myself. I didn't really study the right way, you know, kind of go to class. You don't, I didn't pay the most attention. Um, and, you know, it was just a recipe for disaster. So I learned that one the hard way. Yeah, hey, I mean, lesson in life, right? We all need one. That's fair. We all do. Like to some extent, we all have that one test that we forget to study for, or we're doing other things, and you know it just comes up on us, and then we get the we get over like yeah. I I think that's almost a rite of passage at Cornell to do terrible on a <laughs> on a uh, on an exam. To, oh, hundred percent. No, but like to. it's it's almost like a fairy tale. Someone's like, yeah, I got a hundred on every test I did at school. Like oh oh no no what what yeah that's not possible. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> yeah I wish, but. Uh, I guess to follow it up with, uh, who do you think um, is okay? So we've asked this, and, and we get we get a variety of different answers. But what do you think was the best rival during your time with the Big Red? Um, I think it was. I think the best rival was Harvard, um, it, just because it. And I'll give you a few reasons why. I mean, we obviously had rivals with Clarkson. We had rivals with uh, Quinnipiac. Um, but I think the biggest one was Harvard. I mean, granted that it was the one from past years that had been built up. That's just what I went to Cornell knowing. Like, yeah, they breathe the right At Cornell, they breathe the rivalry with Harvard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, granted, we didn't beat them my freshman or sophomore year. And then when McRae scored the goal the first, to beat them at home for the first time, that was, like, the coolest thing, I thought. Um, and then – Obviously, we went to Harvard and beat them there, too, later that year. But uh, I, I just thought that was the best rivalry, and I wouldn't have wanted to end my time at Cornell any other way than 2-0 against Harvard. I'm, I'm curious. Have you had the chance to play against Adam Fox uh, since you've been uh, – since you've now uh, left Cornell and are now playing professionally? Um, I've played – let's see. I don't think – I don't think I've played against him – uh, in the NHL, I've, I was up on the taxi squad last year when we played New York, and this year I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't think, no, I haven't played him yet this year. Um, hopefully in the in the coming week, I think we play 
we go to New York, I believe Wednesday. We play them Thursday, so hopefully in the next three days. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, it's Thursday. That's right. I've been uh, yeah, I've been trying to keep track of the games here. No, but that's cool though. So hopefully you guys will have a a fabled rivalry meeting again. That'd be awesome. <laughs> now, with that being said, and I want to go back to the Cornell bit for a moment. What's a class that you recommend every Cornellian should take if given the chance? Okay. I believe they, everyone should take. So now this is my, it's kind of out of left field. My favorite class at Cornell was intro to philosophy. Um, (laughs) And it was just, I needed to take it. I don't remember the requirement, but it was one of the requirements um, in the ag school I needed to take. And like, it was no, it was all blackboard notes and like the papers Mm. you had to write. And it was really cool because there was no right answer. And I took it in the spring of my, I don't know, the spring of one of my semesters. And it was just cool. It made you think in a very different way than you have been taught. I've been taught to think kind of my whole life. And um, I'll just kind of, I just kind of give you an example. Like it talks about one of the things was like, um, if God exists, he would be omniscient, omnibenevolent and omnipotent like triple O being. And if he was all, Mm. if he was a triple O being, he could create a rock so big that nobody could move it. And if nobody could move it, that means him himself couldn't move it. And if he can't move it, then he's not a triple O being. Therefore God doesn't exist. So It made you think in a way, and then you had to like write papers on all these different things and argue different points of views. And it was just really cool. That's crazy. What, what a, yeah, that is definitely the, quite the philosophical tongue twister there. No, no. sounds like a very interesting class. I, I haven't, I haven't, I uh, can't say that I've taken it though. I have taken I, it though. Oh, you have? <laughs> I have, Anthony. I need to ask huh. you, I don't mean to cut you, but did you have to take a prelim by any chance? Um, I, I want to say, I honestly, I can't remember. I believe we had just had papers. I think my teacher, it was her last semester and it was, mm. um, maybe a little bit easier than what you guys had now, but if I had to go back in my documents on my computer and look, I believe we just had papers. Okay. Yeah. I I have to envy that. I'm just going to say, I do envy that. We do Mm -hmm. have a, did you have, did you have prelims for that test? Plus papers. Yeah. And I'll be real with you. The prelims, it was kind of weird because you just said like, it's more of a subjective form of thought and a subjective form of just, well, yeah, I just thought can just really simplify that or cycle of thought but we had a prelim on it and he almost wanted us to remember what each person or what each uh, philosopher did. And Mm. man, that was stressful. (laughs) I remember that that's hard. Yeah. That'd be very hard. I kid you not. I remember I picked up my head when we got all, when we all got the sheets at the same time and we were allowed to flip them over everyone at the same time. I kid you not picked up their heads, looked left and right to each other and was like, what is this? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's rough another Cornell moment, but I do have to agree though, especially that unit, the God existence unit. That was a really cool one. It's just cool. Like all of the, like, what was the other, then the other one that I thought was really interesting too was I can't remember what the, like, like the, what the term was, but if it was like, if you were walking around a lake and you saw um, like a a highly wanted person, like drowning in the middle of the lake, that was like a, a huge federal criminal. There's yeah. like different morals that like you're supposed to rescue them or 
like you're not and it was different ways yeah. of arguing it it was just really cool it long story short it was just really cool and made you think in a cool way and um you know it wasn't like you know just read this textbook and memorize this stuff and write it down on the prelim it just kind of made you think outside the box which i thought was yeah neat. certainly they tried to make it fun for you guys that that, that sounds pretty cool and now i i guess to 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 switch gears just a little bit here uh what was your favorite road trip that you took with the team during your time at cornell favorite road trip um i'd say the one, one that sticks out to me was uh when we went to miami i just thought that was cool i mean we had a really long mm-hmm. bus trip and it was just kind of different you know it wasn't just a standard ecac trip yeah. um i'd say the one that i think for me personally that's the most memorable is when we went to harvard and i scored a hat trick and we beat them at harvard mm-hmm. oh yeah i thought that's- that was probably my favorite road trip yeah. Line of East, I'll say there's nothing like it. There is no other environment in which the away team scores and the building is more loud than when the home team scores, which I, you know, yeah, that's true. It, Very it's true. true. It's truly crazy. Uh, and then I guess um, now this is a little random. After being uh, in, in, in Scranton, are, are you perhaps a fan of the office at all? I have seen bits and pieces and episodes like throughout the nine seasons. I haven't watched it straight through though. Okay. And I have like a, a basis, like a very, very minimal knowledge of the office. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I, number one, every Cornelian has some knowledge of the office for, for, for some reason, just, you know, it's like a rite of passage. You have to know something about the office, even if it's very, very little, you know, just something. And, uh, and then I, I guess I'll follow it up with, uh, what which which NHLer was least like your expectations when meeting them? Like it could be either good or bad. Like would like did you have any of those experiences? Um, I would say the one one that blew me away uh, when I met when I got called up for the first time and I mm. met Cindy Crosby and you know he learns your name. I'd say that he took me out to dinner for the first couple nights I was up and we went out um, and he made sure I sat next to him and he just he just wanted to get to know me. He didn't want to talk hockey. He wanted to get to know me, you know, talk about my family, my siblings, um, and just kind of get to know me as a person. You know, he didn't, he was like, you're not, you don't have to pay. Don't worry about paying order, whatever you want. Um, I just thought it was really cool. It was a class act. Um, it wasn't something that he had to do and he went out of his way to make sure I felt at home. So I thought it was in, in incredible experience. And, um, a very, very good example of his uh, leadership. Yeah. And I, I think that truly speaks volumes to the fact that, you know, everybody sort of idolizes guys in the NHL, but at the end of the day, they're, they're human beings just like you and I. And, and that's one of the coolest displays of like, you know, the humanity side of, of hockey. I think that is. A hundred percent. And you're, you're spot on, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're all people just like everybody else, just a special talent in the sport of hockey. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, oh yeah. Uh, here's another thing. Uh, what was your experience like in the bubble? I know you said you were on the, the, the uh, taxi squad and what, like, what was that like? Cause that seems like such an interesting experience. So, you know, you're locked in, uh, what was it? Toronto. And but you only have like certain places you could go. Like, what was that like? That was a whole different animal of itself. You were literally locked in. We were at hotel X in Toronto 
and the other hotel was the Fairmount or the Fair something down the other downtown. You had to take a shuttle to go to and from them, but there were literally fences outside the hotel and you couldn't go in certain areas and there was like little corridors you can walk through and um, mm-hmm. it really, you know, it's like, it really made you appreciate your freedom when you weren't in the bubble and being able yeah. to go out and do things, get a haircut, go get a coffee, go do whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought it was overall, it was, it was very well done. They, I don't believe yeah. they had any positive COVID tests and no. they were able to complete uh, playoffs. Yeah, I, I know. And that's honestly one of the, 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 coolest things about it is that you know it worked so well but I, I can't even imagine what that's like like because how did how did practice even work did you guys have different rinks that you were supposed to go to or did you all have because it again you know it's one rink for all these games and they're playing constantly it, it just, right, yeah, yeah we had a practice rink and the practice rink had a handful of rinks in it and each team kind of was had its own designated area within the practice rink in right. toronto um and all the games were obviously played at the Maple Leafs Arena downtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scotiabank, yeah. No, that's uh, – and, I mean, uh, so, I mean, like you said, you were in uh, Hotel X. So, I mean, at least uh, one of the top teams like yours had had good accommodations, would you argue? We had – I'd say Hotel X had the best. From what I've heard of talking to other people yeah. that were in uh, the West Conference or the other half of the Toronto bubble, I believe Hotel X had the best accommodations by far yeah and now did you have now uh i can't even imagine this but you, you didn't have roommates did you uh, i can't no, imagine that all, at all yeah no yeah we be like yeah no way there, there were like no roommates and stuff and i can't even imagine what that's like you know with common spaces i i know we saw a couple a little bit on instagram they had areas where people could play xbox with one another but like i don't know if that's true or not there were areas we could do that. There's like a golf simulator there. You could play tennis okay. or um, racquetball. Uh, there was like its own little gym. Couldn't really hang out with anyone. Um, yeah, that, that was about it. You had, a, you had a shuttle. You had a shuttle to and from the rink or game rink. Um, but all in all, I mean, granted that we weren't there for very long, unfortunately. You know, maybe – um, but I know it was definitely tough on people that had families, mm-hmm. you know, being away from their families from that long and being isolated, but all in all, I thought the NHL did a very good job with the bubble. Yeah. And kudos to them in that regard. You mentioned earlier also about your long haul trip to Miami. And of course, who's not going to enjoy Miami, right? Especially when you're up here in Ithaca, New York, a little bit of sun can do wonders. One can say. Wait, no, 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 no. That's, we went that's... To Miami, Ohio. Yeah, yeah, that's Miami, Ohio. Oh, you meant Miami, Ohio. My bad. Well, still, there's still a lot more sun in Miami, Ohio than there is in uh... New York. We could, we could say that for sure. On a long drive, though, what movie are you watching to keep yourself entertained? Oh, on a long drive. Any, am I, okay, so am I watching it by myself or am I watching it like on the bus? Oh, you know what? Let's say by yourself for now. Um... No, oh, I a good a movie. I I have a download on my phone. I watch all the time. I got to go with Lone Survivor. Um, Lone I, Survivor. You've never you've never seen it. That uh, after your so. prelims, after your spring break, I I'm gonna add that to your homework list. Ooh, okay. It's right, about right. it's, it's about Marcus Luttrell. It's based on a true story. This guy uh, 
basically has to go, he has to go overseas and they were on a mission and the mission gets completely compromised. And he turns out to be the lone survivor of everyone in the mission and about how he has to get rescued and the people that helps him get rescued. He actually goes back in operation red wing and rescues them from the Taliban and ends up saving oh, this guy. I've heard of this movie now. Yeah. There's a book about it. Isn't there? Yeah. There's a book about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but I, it's, I, a, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a very good movie. It's, um it's action it's high paced i really like it i'd say if i was on the bus and i'm out to watch a comedy i mean something like the hangover is a classic <laughs> yeah of course love that movie um anything kind of along those lines how how long ago did, did the lone survivor movie come out do you remember when was it released because it does sound um, familiar now in my head i want to say like 2012 here i'll look it up real quick yeah that's why i think it sounds familiar oh man i was I was just a kid. I wasn't even thinking about <laughs> applications yet. 2013. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. I was just a kid, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. But all right, I'll give it a watch. I'll give it a watch. I it's, do keep it. It's good. I do keep my word. I did pr- uh, promise, uh, what's his name, Nate McDonald earlier in these in this podcast series, how I would watch Interstellar because I had never watched it before. That's and, also another phenomenal movie. I have to say, I do agree with that. It's a great movie. Now, <laughs> Sorry, I have to I have to giggle at myself because for a sec, you know, Miami, but you mentioned Ohio and we have a little bit of a civil war here going on at uh, uh, the Big Red Hockey Cast family. Is Ohio part of the Midwest? I'd say no. Ooh, well, I know. I know people okay. are going to be happy at that. No, I, I would yeah. say no. I mean, I know like when I think of the Midwest, I'm thinking like Omaha like Lincoln, yeah. Nebraska, mm-hmm. Tri-City, Iowa. Yeah. I know like the USHL is considered in the Midwest. You have the Youngstown Phantoms who are Yeah, yeah, Youngstown, yeah. But they're still on they're still on Eastern time, so That's true. It's yeah, it's the one state in in like that sort of corridor that is not part of Central Time, which is is so interesting. And it seems crazy. like I I just know a couple of our a couple of our friends here at, at the Big Red Hockey Cast. Again, you probably just elated their week, Anthony. You probably just made them as joyous for probably a week. I mean, I'm gonna have to say I'm on the side that it is part of the Midwest, even though maybe it's a bit of an outlier, but it seems like maybe something in maybe a bit of Albany culture tells you otherwise. I don't know, that's just a theory. Hey, it's fair. It, hey. Six to one, half a dozen to the other. I'm going with it's not part of the Midwest. Yeah. All right. That's fair. Andy gave a reason why. I like that. I like like the fact that he actually, you know, uh, you know, gave a gave a pretty good reason why. That's 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 very good. Yeah, you almost seem to can't like come prepared. Like you almost had it all listed out. Came prepared with that. (laughs) No, I had no idea. All right. Nice, nice. Now, who we also talked about a bit of music, by the way. Who during your time at Cornell would you never give the ox to? Uh, probably Mitch Vanderlyn. <laughs> was it just okay. not? Was yeah. it just like it was kind I, of flat the music? Yeah, it was just he's just very soft spoken. Um, I don't want to say it. Like I would say, if I'd kind of pick him to be more of like you know gentle music and okay. No, like if I give someone the ox, man, I want that. I want it to be lit. 
Yeah. You know, like Alex <laughs> McRae was a good Alex McRae was a good DJ. Bo yeah. Barrett was a good DJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Alec McRae does seem like the life of a party when we when we interviewed him. He was quite a humorous guy, but we can really affirm to that. So it seems like good choice, good choice there. And now, of course, we actually we did talk about Alec McRae earlier. And you know what the celeb we actually have to ask, what were the celebrations were like on that, you know, Alec McRae weekend where Friday night you had two points in a three and a three-nothing victory. And then, of course, a massive win on Saturday against Harvard. What were the celebrations like? Do you remember any of that? I just know when he scored, he threw his hands up. I got that picture. Is, I have iconic. it saved on my phone. It's an iconic picture, to say the least. And you know, he threw his hands up, and everyone went nuts. And I know I just jumped up on the bench, and like the, the building rumbled. And it literally shook. It was so loud. like The, the bench was shaking. Um, and then obviously we all went out and we had a grand old time together at one of our hockey houses and celebrated that victory together. So um, it's something that I'll have forever in the back of my mind. A well-deserved celebration. I'd say that's, you know, you only get so many unbelievable moments like that. And that's certainly one of them that deserves celebration. (laughs) Now talking about, of course, your Cornell experience, what do you think was the best place on campus? What do you like best place to just hang out or like where? So like, for example, I would say like Olin library or Olin cafes. That's kind of like where you would find me almost most often. Was there a place like that for you? Um, I would say probably man library. I spent a lot of time there. Um, I get a coffee, a trill and then mm-hmm. walk over and go kind of hide and do my work or just sit at a table and do my work and um, talk to people. I'd say if I really, really needed to get stuff done, I would go hide. I believe it was the stacks at Olin library. Like yes. seven floor, like it's just completely quiet. The lights flickered. It was almost creepy at times, but it was <laughs> yeah. dead silent. And you could really, you know, buckle down when you needed to. Well, I, I could tell yeah. that, that hasn't changed much. The kind of creepy atmosphere in the stacks. Hasn't changed yeah. too much. Although it, it's it's interesting you brought up Man Library because Sean got thrown out on the podcast one time. Yeah, once I was doing yeah. an interview behind closed doors and it was already closing hour. And I was yeah. asking for like just five more minutes just because it was the only quiet place I could find. But yeah. I'm I surprised how much you said. I mean, a little bit of, you know, the gift of what's it called? The gift of gab, I think it's called you know, a little bit of sweet talk being like, just five more minutes, please, you know? <laughs> if it yeah, worked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it worked. Now, also, about campus, did you ever get recognized on campus? Um, yeah. I'd say there was a few times where people would say, hey, man, like, big fan, good game. Um, there was one time I was at uh, Dunbar's, which is now, I believe, Hideaway. And yes. there was a kid, yeah, I know, yeah. there was only, I've only found one person with the last name Angelo that has two L's right. and he friend requested me on Facebook and I ran into him when I was at Dunbar's and he wanted to take a selfie together because he never met someone with the last name Angelo, just like him. And I was like, well, kind of goes both ways. And I think it, it, yeah. we have to be related somewhere, somewhere down the line and neither of us had any idea, but. Oh, that's, that's actually really funny. And, uh, it, it, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I feel like a lot of 
particularly the line of faithful. Like we, we don't want to ever like out somebody like that. You know, if we see one of the guys, we're like, Oh, you know, just keep it chill. Like, don't like, don't want to like say anything too, too, too bad. I know, I, I know I, I ran into like the only time where I've actually ever seen anybody in public. I, I ran into Jack Malone in line for a quesadilla at uh, <laughs> Trillium. And I just said, Hey man, you know, good job this weekend, but I wanted to keep it quiet. I'm like, I don't want to, don't want people to go nuts. Like, yeah. Well, you got to remember, Hey, like we're, we're hockey players. We're all people too. You know, like we yeah. all like to have social conversations and talk and yeah. yeah we appreciate no. all your guys' support to say the least. No, no, no. That's true. That actually almost leads me to ask this follow-up question if you know at that at that state or stage of your life did you ever get used to being almost a celebrity on campus no no I wouldn't I wouldn't say so I mean I I still I woke up and you know I was still a student I was still a hockey player and I was just loving what I was doing um I woke up and I woke up with a smile on my face um obviously some days are a little tougher than others when it's you know minus 10 degrees and snowing and you got to walk up a hill yeah. from yeah you know freshman year but um i bet my I, don't, miami... I wouldn't say I, I got used to it at all yeah i bet my miami ohio statement still stands true with a little more sun for the record <laughs> yeah. i just want to say the key word in that is ohio yeah yeah, Correct. yeah miami, ohio. <laughs> uh, but it still stands more sun more sunlight more warmth arguably yeah. now also out of curiosity why did you choose the number 17? That was just the number that I had um, growing up when I played youth hockey. It was either 77 or 17, and Cornell doesn't go up to 77, and I just got really hooked on 17. I wanted 17 when I was in juniors, but uh, that was already taken by an older guy, so I had 18, um, and then I got to yeah. Cornell, and 17 was open. So yeah, um, I rolled yeah, with it, okay. and I'm 17 in Wilkes, and – couldn't yeah. exactly go up to Brian Rust and ask him for 17. Yeah. So 57 yeah. will do for now. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, and then this will be a very interesting question. The, the penultimate question here. And I think I know the answer to this, but what is your favorite cheer to hear from the line of faithful? You know, when you were start, at, at the, the start of the third period here, yeah, I don't everyone, exactly everyone know what that. it's called. It's a start. I have it. My dad recorded it on his phone wow. when we were coming out one of the years and the place was packed and went nuts. And anytime I want to get the chills, I just go watch it. Yeah. Gary glitter. Yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. Ro- yeah. Rock and roll part two, I believe it's called. That's mm-hmm. the actual title. Of the song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the actual title of the song. It was also, I think used in Joker. If I remember correctly in 20, something like that. that movie. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that seems to cool. be, always be a fan favorite. Yeah. Always. Oh, it's, it, it's the best. It's the best. Yeah. I could only imagine that, you know, as you're, as you're going back onto the ice, I could only imagine that the, the sounds and vibrations are literally just digging at you while you're going out, like just giving the acoustics. Well, it's like, it's just the energy, like the overall energy. Like I, it's so hard to describe. It's just like something you got to feel and coming out for the game, whether you're up by one and you need to maintain a lead or you're down by one and you need to get momentum to come back and score. It's the fans and the cheers play such a big role. I mean, it's a game changer, honestly. And it's, like I said earlier, it's something we'll forever be grateful for. And it's, you know, something that um, I know for a fact, all the players there appreciate. So you guys do a great job. Oh, yeah, we'll try our best. We'll give the band uh, their regard, of course. You know, yeah. they're, they're the ones performing that. 
but hey, it's a group effort, one can say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Of course, now we have the final question of the slap shot round. And I always like to say, some say it's the hardest. Some say it's the easiest. Do you have any final comments about your big red hockey career? Like any shout outs, any thank yous? Um, I'd say I want to, I want to thank, uh, my teammates. Uh, it was a really, really great three years. I was there. Um, I built a lot of memories, uh, made a lot of friendships and connections and made a lot of relationships with people. I still keep in touch with to this day. And it was some of the best three years of my life. And, um, honestly, it wouldn't have been possible without them. So thank you for them. And, um, thank you for all to all the support staff and our trainers and coaches for, making our lives great um you know from the athletic uh athletic trainer ed to our strength coach tom mm. and all of our coaches when i was there i mean tof was there my freshman year but then you know we had sean flanagan come in and you know benny and chafe uh just want to say thanks for a great three years and you know it was a pleasure to be back on this podcast well let us actually extend the thanks to you anthony for really sparing your time with us sharing it regardless and talking about unique experiences you had as, you know, of course, as a premium, a premier as a student athlete at your time here at Cornell University. And of course, now in the big leagues in the NHL with the Penguins. And of course, we wish you the best of luck in regards to your season. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. Hey, I'm going to throw out one more thing. So I was thinking, I can't forget about the pep in and the line of faithful. That, that's got to be probably the biggest thing. So. I know I said it earlier, but I'll give, uh, you know, one more formal thank you to you guys. And um, the energy you guys bring is amazing. So keep it going. Of course, again, on that note, thank you again, Anthony, for sharing your time with us today. And again, best of luck in everything you do and best of luck in this season so far with the Penguins. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, to quote you, Alex, always good to hear from Anthony Angelo. He's a hilarious, lighthearted dude who really goes to show the human quality and facets of these premium athletes in the big leagues. In this case, of course, the NHL. It just always seems to be a recurring theme of how Cornell offers the best of both worlds for athletes like Angelo himself. I mean, he even talked about it, how, of course, we have supreme superior hockey, but we also have equally fantastic education that truly does dig at the interests of the individual, really. So, of course, we do wish Angelo the best of luck in this season with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and we thank him again for talking with us. And speaking of thanks, we have to thank you, for tuning into this episode of the Big Red Hockey Cast for and from the Line of Faithful. This has been a Big Red Sports Network production. BRSN is a student-run organization dedicated to promoting the voices of Cornell student-athletes. Make sure to check out at Cornell BRSN on Instagram and www.cornellbrsn.com. And of course, shout out to our producers, Michael Farku, Mike Seitz, and Jay Klein. 
And we'd also like to thank Ben Rudoy, John Ashbrook, Gabby Nevin, and Sophia Prieto, also members of the Big Red Hockey Cast family. So with that, thank you again for listening. Ciao, ciao for now.